world where every belief is challenged. Where do we go? You are now listening to the Truth of the Matter podcast, where the world is seen through the lens of scriptures, with your host, Jedi Milano. Hello, everyone. We are continuing our series, so thank you for tuning in once again. But before we start, uh, as you can see, there are only two hosts for the day. Um, yeah. Sadly, our two friends, JB and Jaddy, cannot make it. They're out on the errand, and JB is on a break. But before we begin, I'd like to ask my co-host with me right here today, how are you doing today, Nathan? Hi, Sam. Yeah, I'm doing great today. Uh, a bit allergic now because it's a bit stuck, but you know, aside from that, I'm fine. Yeah, so yeah, That's we have great. a very special yeah. episode. Uh, we have uh, a guest back. Yeah, can you tell us who our guest is? Okay, so we have our guest back today. We've had him before. He's from Christ Heritage Church. He is Kuya Gabe Castello, and he will be doing our second episode of Imago Day, our season. And for this episode, we'll be tackling man in the state of sin. Mm. Okay, everyone, Kuya Gabe. Yeah, how are you, Kuya Gabe, today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thank you again for having me. And it's... uh. It's been a pretty interesting couple of weeks uh, here, especially you know in our country because of all the surge and everything happening with uh, COVID and all of that. So I'm actually very grateful that um, you guys have asked me to come to uh, teach again in in the podcast, and you know it's it's exciting. Uh, I prepared some stuff, and I hope that it's gonna be. A uh, good learning experience for everyone, and especially everyone who's listening um, to the podcast. Yeah, sounds great, too. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I think I think we're good. Already. You can begin with your All right. uh, message. Okay. And actually, um, since since we're talking about uh, sin, and I know we're going through this series, and 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 and, and uh, last week you guys uh, came in and talked about. The fall, right? Is that is that correct? You um, last week you were talking about um, uh, sin and the fall and all of these things. So so now I want to go into uh, the nature of man and um, I, and I think the best way that I thought of being able to do this is going through Romans one. And I think because Romans one actually explains for us. Uh, something that is deep in um, the the basics of what man is in the state of sin, and uh, one of the beliefs that people have these days, and I'm not sure if you guys have heard of it, is that uh, people uh, a lot of people say that people are inherently good, and a lot of people these days uh, say that uh, this inherent goodness. Is, is natural to, to humanity and that we should all seek in ourselves um, this inherent goodness and we should seek it in others and we should look for it in others as well. Uh, well, first, firstly, as Christians, uh, we don't believe this to be true, really. Uh, the Bible tells us otherwise. In fact, uh, the nature of man is corrupted since the fall in Genesis 3 and that is a reality. And so we actually don't have inherent goodness. Uh, what we actually have is an inherited corruption from our first parents, uh, Adam and Eve. And so uh, the session today is hopefully something that will uh, help us 
help open us up to three things. And the first thing is understanding the sinful nature of humanity in light of God's Word. That's why we're going through Romans 1. The second is understanding the sinful nature of humanity in their unbelief. And the third thing is how to practically uh, deal with this, um, this nature of sin in people who don't uh, believe. And that's really important. And I think, I think this would uh, help people understand how to go about uh, seeing other people, seeing other religions, seeing other beliefs, and seeing even the world. So what I want to do is quite simply divide uh, our session this this afternoon with, into three simple parts, okay? And the first is God. Uh, God is the starting point. I want to start with Him because He will dictate to us everything else. You know, we start with God and God shows us how everything else is related, right? And then... Uh, the second part that I want to go through is man. Uh, after understanding God's attribute in relation to what we're studying uh, r- today, we'll also understand how man is related to that. Um, and then after that, we'll understand the third part is the relationship between the two, between God and man. The relationship uh, of God and man in terms of the nature uh, or the sin nature, right? So, um, we'll begin with the first, and that's God, right? So, Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And so, what we want to see here is that God has an attribute of wrath. Um, God is holy. He is a holy God. And therefore, uh, His wrath, is uh, perfect because it is a response to everything that is not holy, right? So it is a, a, his wrath is a response to everything that is not of him. And then we see um, that it is a response to two things, ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And basically, ungodliness is showing us uh, what God is angry at because men uh, are not rightly related to him they are ungod like so anything that is not related to god um, or or rightly relates to god god shows wrath to that and unrighteousness so we have ungodliness and then we have unrighteousness ungodliness leads to unrighteousness to not uh right living and um those are the two things that uh, the wrath of God reveals itself against. And by this ungodliness and unrighteousness, people suppress the truth. So what does that mean? What what that basically is saying is that men are always attempting to suppress the truth by their sin, by their ungodliness and unrighteousness. Um, When we sin, uh, it always attempts. We always attempt to suppress what is true and what is right, um, and and that's a problem, right? Um, so when we say we also see uh, in Psalm actually in Psalm fourteen, um, sorry I forgot this slide, but in Psalm fourteen one, 
Um, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and they do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. And so, um, what does that mean? That basically is showing us that uh, sinners or what the, the uh, psalm says as a fool is always looking for a way to sin and then deny the existence of God because of their sin. All right? And so, <clears throat> there are many examples of this. Um, an example that I can think of is, let's say, an atheist. An atheist who believes that we're uh, created from evolution, right? So, they could, any atheist could be in sin, uh, of, of any sin that they, that they commit. Uh, let's say uh, they're in uh, the sin of sexual immorality. Uh, if that's their sin, why? How are they reasoning to their themselves that that sin is okay? How they do that is by basically saying that God doesn't exist, so that once they die, they don't have to face judgment. They're just gonna basically say, "This is the only life there is," and and, and um, after this life, there is no other life. And so I can do whatever I want, and this sin is just, you know, part of what it is, because there's no judgment after that. So, so in the mind of uh, 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 of man, they suppress the truth in their sin, so that they continue to do unrighteousness and ungodliness. Does that make sense? Uh, another sin is uh, homosexuality. So, one of the one of the ways that they suppress the truth is by saying that since God is um, love, He's a God of love, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter um, if I'm expressing love between the same sex because God is love. And so that's another. Um, example of uh, someone trying to suppress the truth because of their unrighteousness. Another example would be uh, pastors who um, try to fool their churches, false teachers, so that they can um, gain money. So they try to suppress the truth by saying that God will abundantly give uh, to their congregation if they give to them more and more and more money, right? And so this is um, another suppression of truth uh, based on the sin and unrighteousness of people. And so there are so many of these different sins that um, and examples everywhere, we see it everywhere, that every sin of um, a, a fallen human being a man in his fallen nature is always going to be uh, suppressed uh, by unrighteousness. They're always going to suppress the truth. They're always going to try to look for reasonings and rationalizations of why um, they want to commit unrighteousness. And so the point is this. Um, the sin of a person who suppresses the truth and unrighteousness will shape the kind of God that he believes in, actually. And that's what we see 
in many cases when people are stuck in their unbelief when people are stuck in the 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 uh, normal sinful nature of man uh augustine of hippo said um no man says there is no god but he whose interest it is that there should be none so that makes a lot of sense right um that's that's why um it kind of hurts to be a christian because the full holiness of god is pressed against our sin and we must submit to the holy scriptures and change and turn away from our sin and have the application of the gospel in our hearts and so that's the foundation right that's who god is in relation to all of the nature of man he is a god who shows holiness he is a god of wrath and therefore what people are trying to do is to suppress that truth that god is a god of holiness and wrath so that they can continue in their sin so now we've kind of laid that foundation of uh, who god is in light of the nature of man now we want to see basically who man is and i'll go through um that with uh one two three four five five um r's that can help us to kind of remember that and and i owe this to uh dr john MacArthur, who actually helped me synthesize that um these these points um and help me understand it in a better light and that is uh, the four r's of the nature of man and that it's the revelation uh, rejection rationalization religion and reprobation so that's revelation rejection rationalization religion and reprobation and that is uh going to be the basic framework of um this man portion that we see okay so the first is basically uh revelation which we see in romans 1 19 and 20 and it says for what can be known about god is plain to them because god has shown it to them for his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse so that's the revelation of god and so when um we talk about this when we talk about the revelation of god and we when we talk about um this so-called natural revelation what we see is that he, uh, god can be plainly known uh because he shows himself his attributes can be plainly seen and he shows these attributes um in the things that have been made and so um when we look at this we're seeing something about uh, what romans is telling us his invisible attributes namely first his eternal power and then secondly his divine nature so his eternal power is showing us um it, it is sort of like a never failing omnipotence his 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 eternal strength and power all right his uh tremendous power that is available uh 
in, in, in the things that we see, right? And His divine nature is His wisdom, His goodness, His love, and, and other elements of His nature. There are, there are many. And so all of these things, He shows all um, in the things that have been made. Things that are clearly perceived. So it can never be mistaken that we cannot know the existence of God or any, any human being cannot know the existence of God because he makes it clear. He makes it plain as, as Roman says. And he makes it plain through uh, general revelation. Now, Psalm 19.1 says, uh, the heavens declare the glory of God and um, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Psalm 143.5 says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the works of your hands. So we see all of these things in nature. And there are so many examples. Uh, and even if you look at, let's say, science textbooks, if you study science, if you look at creatures that have been made all around the world, there, there are amazing things that you can find out um, just from uh, creation, creation itself. One of the most interesting examples that I can think of is a bombardier beetle. I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with that, but uh, uh, you are. So I see your heads nodding. It's like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, from what I know is that they have two combustible components in like, uh, like elements inside their bodies that don't touch. But in the face of, uh, of, uh, of a predator, those components um, come out and they mix up in this sort of defensive um, mixture and it kind of like explodes in the face of their predators. So it's amazing how that design is possible in the same beetle, that they don't mix inside their bodies, but come out perfectly fine um, in terms of when they need it for uh, defense. Um, another example is that uh, in, in every, any given minute, there are 1,800 storms in operation, amounting to an energy of about 1.3 billion horsepower constantly. Uh, there are 10 million species of inse insects. Uh, there are 25,000 kinds of ants. Uh, and one colony alone can have 100 million ants. Um, and the earth itself, the earth itself in creation is actually quite amazing. There are, it, it, it's 25,000 miles in circumference. It weighs 6 septillion, 588 sextillion tons. And it hangs on empty space. And it spins at 1,000 miles per hour with perfect precision uh, to keep time to the split second. And so those are amazing things. And that is something that you see in the things that have been made, in the general revelation of God. Another is the human heart. 
It is the size of a fist, uh, weighs less than half a pound, and pumps 1,800 gallons of blood per day. And just many, many, many more examples. So, therefore, everyone knows God. Everyone knows that there is a God. Um, regardless of what they say, you know, even the atheist, agnostic, no matter what they say, they know that God exists. And they just suppress the truth according to the, their unrighteousness or their sin. And basically, general revelation, or in other words, the things that we see, the things that have been made, the things in nature, the things that are created, becomes the um, foundation of all condemnation. Because men have the opportunity to know God because He's evident everywhere. And he, if, if since uh, men know that there is a God and still men uh, deny that truth, He judges justly according to that because they are without excuse. And that's what Romans tells us. They are without excuse. And so, that is the general revelation. That is the first R, revelation. And then the next one we have is rejection. And we find it in Romans 1.21. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So that is the rejection of man. So, God has revealed Himself plainly, so everyone know, knows God, and yet they do not honor Him as God. Um, what that means is people don't ascribe to God um, what they should, and they take that honor for themselves. Um, and they don't honor him as God. And their thinking became empty. They have empty thoughts. Um, what, what it's telling us is if, if you reject God, you have an empty mind. And it, it, it leads to vain human philosophy. Useless and pointless thinking, basically. And there, what it also says, what the passage also tells us, is that their hearts come to darkness or come to nothingness. So after man has known God, not glorified Him, refused to be thankful to Him, uh, they become proud and He creates a vacuum for Himself of His own empty um, desires and musings and it becomes darkness. Uh, it becomes uh, evil that fills up His foolish heart. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. So that is sort of like an intellectual and moral darkness. The, God has revealed himself. Man continues to reject, 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 reject. And so this is actually an opening for us to understand that when we, uh, you and I, as Christians, when we evangelize to non-believers, and they reject the gospel, um, 
it's something to think about because we we sometimes feel like uh oh they're rejecting the gospel because i didn't share it perfectly or because i didn't do it the the best way i could have or because i'm not uh good of enough of a speaker to share the gospel but that's not the case we have to remember that when we are sharing the gospel we're sharing to men who know that there is a god already and yet continue to reject him we're sharing to hearts that are hardened and um they are blind to spiritual things and therefore we have to understand what we sh- that we should keep sharing the gospel despite of this because the gospel brings light to these people who reject men so now we we've, we've come to that we see the revelation we see the rejection What's the next step for men? The next step is uh, rationalization, right? Rationalization. That's we see it in Romans 1:22. It says, "Claiming to be wise, they became fools." Rationalization. And you know, people everywhere. You look around the world. You look around your friends who are non-believers. You look around to family. Uh, and um, relatives who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they all claim wisdom. And the wisdom of the world is like, oh, look within yourself. Um, look for inner peace, empty your mind, evolution. All of these, all of these are claims to wisdom. So many philosophies around the world. Um, relativism, if you've heard of that. There is there there is this thing now that truth is relative. That's also claiming wisdom. Some people say that oh, truth is relative, and I'm um, I'm absolutely sure that truth is relative. And and all of those things are all claims to wisdom, because people are claiming something that the Bible is not teaching. People are claiming something that the absolute truth is not teaching, and so people um, are rationalizing. Oh, I don't believe in God because now I can find inner peace within myself. I don't believe in God because you know philosoph- human philosophies have taught me this, that, and the other, right? I don't believe in in God because you know I have been taught to empty my mind and you know I'll be fine, right? And so these are the different aspects. Of um, this rationalization of man, and what the Bible tells us is that since they claim to be wise, what has happened is that they've become fools. They have become fools, and the 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 word in Greek, in the original language, is uh, morino, or that's where we find or where we get the word uh, moron. Uh, in in a sense, men have become these kinds of morons, and I don't mean that in a, a bad word kind of way, but in a in a literalistic sense. But in a in the same time, at the same time, they think they're wise. They have become this morino in Greek, but they think they are wise. And really. Um, the wisdom of man we see that against uh the wisdom of god in the bible uh first corinthians 1 17 to 18 says 
it very clearly. And let me read it to you guys. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So isn't that interesting? That since God um, reveals, man rejects, and then man then rationalizes in their own thoughts, in their own in their own. Uh, ways of thinking but the Bible tells us that the foolishness of God defeats the wisdom of man and the truth is worldly wisdom has never saved man from sin worldly wisdom has never saved man from a constant decline um, because there are so many new philosophies in the world now that have come out through the years because of the enlightenment and yet we are still where we are in a fallen world with sinful people and crimes getting worse sin is being accepted more and more in society and things are just getting worse in terms of sin and it's because philosophy has never saved man rationalization and the wisdom of the world has never saved man it has always been the gospel and so, um, after man rationalizes, so God reveals, I'm reviewing every time so that it's helpful for us. God reveals, man uh, rejects, and then they rationalize about what, they, um, what they've rejected. They rationalize their own thinking. They claim to be wise. After that, um, they create religion. And that's what Romans 1.23 says, right? And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. That is religion. Um, men create religion as um, something or someone else to worship. So since they don't want to worship the true and living God, they substitute it for false gods. They substitute the true God for false gods. And like we were, like I was um, explaining a while ago, um, man creates God, a, a different kind of God, to adjust to their sin. Um, therefore, as the more that they do that, they create a whole religion that will allow their sin to happen. Does that make sense? So, what is an example? We have Hinduism. There are 330 million gods. And 450 million Hindus have uh, 75 million cows to worship, basically. Right? In Buddhism, in Thailand, there are 20,000 Buddhist temples, one for each baptized Christian. Um, and... A two-inch long discolored tooth is reverenced by 400 million Buddhists as the most sacred object on earth. And in Fuchao, China, 
one of 15 wooden Buddhas on a temple shelf accidentally fell over on a man and killed him. And his family was demanded a court trial accusing Buddha of murder. And he was found guilty and so were the 14 other Buddhas on the shelf and they beheaded all of them. So isn't this kind of like a weird thing that is happening in the world about like all of this religion? Um, we also see this in apostate Christianity. I'm not sure if you, well, if you've heard of this, but uh, in Roman Catholicism, which is what I'm, uh, what I mean by apostate Christianity, uh, the Roman Church claims to have relics of the Virgin Mary. Uh, they have several locks of her hair uh, in different churches all around the world. Uh, they also have, interestingly, three shoulder blades. How is that possible, right? Four legs, five arms, and 50 index fingers, all belonging to John the Baptist. And all of those 50 index fingers are actual fingers that pointed and said, Behold the Lamb of God. That is what they're saying. And this is the kind of religion that man creates. It is a religion that does not make sense. Uh, because it, it all falls in that line. When God reveals, man rejects, they rationalize, they create their own religion. And now the mind of man in the nature of sin is so destroyed that we no longer have this proper uh, way of thinking because the nature of sin is blinding us as we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Uh, that is um, basically the religiosity of, of humanity. Religion, there are at least 2.6 billion people in the world who have identifiable religious affiliation. A lot of people think that a religion is the um, is the height of man's genius, but really, really, religion, and I mean non-Christian religion, non-biblical uh, religion, is actually the decline of humanity. The only true religion is that of the Bible, and so. Let's review. God reveals himself through the created world. Man rejects that. And into that emptiness that he's left with, uh, he's left with intellectual ignorance and moral perversion. And then in all of that darkness that he is already in because he rejects the revelation of God, he then rationalizes that he is right. He rationalizes that, no, um, I'm not wrong about God. I'm actually right. And so because he rationalizes that, he claims wisdom, makes philosophies, thinks of the world in certain ways, and then a religion is born. And he is able to eliminate from his mind the true God and creates one that doesn't exist or allows their sin to continue and so that's um, the way that the nature of man progresses 
And so basically we've seen first, the first part is God, who he is, his wrath against ungodliness and unrighteousness. And then we see man falling into more ungodliness and unrighteousness and then suppressing the truth all the more. And then we see the steps that they take in revelation, rejection, rationalization, and then religion. And then now we see the relationship of how God deals with man in this state. And that is what we call reprobation. Right? That is what we call reprobation. And reprobation is that um, God gives people over. And God is the singular force that restrains sin from happening. God is the only force um, in the universe that can restrain sin. That's why as Christians, when we have the Holy Spirit in us, we can um, obey God. Because finally, we can restrain sin through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? So think about it this way. An illustration would be like a dog on a leash. And the dog is trying to bite, trying to get out, trying to to um, run for a certain target. and But there's a leash that's stopping it. And so this dog is sin. Uh, or, sorry, this dog is, is man. Um, and that desire to get out is the, is the sin, right? And the leash, the more that man uh, falls into sin, God lets go of that leash bit by bit. And that's what we see in Romans 1.24, Romans 1.26, and Romans 1.28. In each of those verses what we see is God gives people over three times. He gives over in Romans 1.24, He gives over in Romans 1.26, and He gives over in Romans 1.28. And that's the leash. And the more that people dive into sin, the more that that leash gets released. That leash is being given over. And man, uh, and that dog runs more and more free to sin. And because... That is because they continue to desire to sin and will um, go through that step by step. Um, and so, I'll show you here in verses 24, 26, and 28, God gives people up. It means that man is abandoned slowly by God. Um, and God's restraining influence against sin is um, let go. And so the more that God lets go, the more the worse man gets. And it's consistent uh, in Scripture. In Psalm 81, 11 and 12, it says, But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to, to me. So I gave them over to their stu stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Hosea 4, 7, 17 says, Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. Acts 7, 42 says, But God turned away and gave them over to worship the hosts of heaven. Acts 14, 16 says, In past generations, he allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. 
And it's also consistent with human experience. And I want to show you how that is in the coming slides. Romans 1.24, verse 25, Romans 1.24 to 25 says, Therefore God, this is the first one, gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So basically, the first step of reprobation is a sexual revolution. This as an inability uh, to keep the solemnity of uh, monogamy and its sacred practice. And we see that everywhere today. Today, um, so many um, chaste virtues, the virtue of chastity is frowned upon. Um, keeping virginity is frowned upon. Staying um, clear from sexual sin is frowned upon. Um, and so we see that um, all throughout society. And uh, sexual monogamy right now is frowned upon. And we see that pornography is a problem, even in the church, even amongst pastors, even amongst uh, everywhere. Um, rape is rampant. Uh, and there are dating apps created for sexual pleasure. Uh, adultery is also ramp rampant. And so all of these things are in Scripture. We see them that it is a result of God giving up people to the lusts of their hearts to impurity. So that is the first um, step of reprobation, really, sexual revolution. And when people fall into this and God gives them over to their sin and they continue in that sin, um, more and more, God will give them over again. And this is the second leash being let, being, being let go. And we see it in Romans 1, 26-27. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And this is what is known as a homosexual revolution. This is the second step of reprobation. And it is basically the inability to recognize a divine design between male and female heterosexual relationships. And homosexuality is a result of God giving people over to their very own sin. And it's not, it's not a result of a gene disposition or free choice, etc., etc. It's not a result of all of those things. It is a result of um, a world that rejects God's revelation, has rationalized, created their religion, and still doesn't want to honor God. And God is giving them over to their sin. From the sexual revolution to the homosexual revolution. And we see this now. Um, homosexuality is now attributed to genetics. They're trying to take out the sin in homosexuality by saying, oh, it's genetic. Um, it's also being attributed to freedom of expression. 
oh, we just want to express how we really are as people. It's no longer a sin, right? And it's also attributed to love. All homosexuality is love. But the Bible says it's a sin. But the world is in this homosexual revolution because it's been given over to their sin. The nature of man to be given over. And now we are stuck in a place where people um, promote this and love this sin and don't recognize it anymore as sin because God has given them over to this reprobation, this second step. Um, you know, also gay marriage is being legalized everywhere, especially in the West, in Western cultures. And now if you're not pro-LGBT, you're going to be called a bigot and uh, an evil and this uh, a homophobe or something like that, right? So that's the second step. But after that, if people continue in their sin, they don't repent, they don't come to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, what does God do? Again, He gives them over. Romans 28 to 32 says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. There's that language again. Gave them up to the base mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And this is the third step in reprobation, which is what we call a reprobate-minded revolution. It is a mind that it has is unable to know right from wrong. And a reprobate mind, it's not a result of freedom or liberation or laws or human rights or feminism, or science, or self-benefit, or self-love. It is a result of God giving people over to their sin. And right now, if you see, um, pedophilia is being tolerated now. Um, there is such a thing as a multiple personality disorder, uh, and it's being excused as a psychological disorder, wherein there are six-year-old, um, there are 30-year-olds identifying as six-year-olds uh, and this is being acceptable in society because they don't know the truth anymore. Um, there is no right from wrong. There is no absolute truth in society anymore. Uh, the legalization of abortion, we see that killing babies is a big thing now. And if you're not for the legalization of abortion, you are against uh the rights of women, that's what they say. And wow, now being for rights of women is equal to be, being a murderer of babies. And, and, and society cannot comprehend this. They, are, they think it's okay. Um, they're now what they call fourth term abortions, where in certain countries, you can kill a baby as it has been just born. You're literally killing a human life. But that's okay for them because for them, 
they're in this reprobate mind, not knowing right from wrong. And as a Christian, of course, we no longer understand. I mean, it is hard for us to express um, morality simply because we will be called bigots. Society has completely shunned out um, Christian moral good because um, it is against this reprobate mind. It's against this sin. And so the culmination of unbelief of, of the nature of man, of the nature of sin, is that in verse 16, we see of Romans, which we actually didn't go through, but if you would like to read it, Paul unfolds the gospel as God's power. And then in verse 18, Paul begins um, with the wrath of God. In verse 19, people hold to the truth um, because God has made it manifest. So people know the truth about God. And truth is manifest through creation. In verse 20, men are without excuse. In verse 21, men had the knowledge of God, yet they refused it. In verse 22, men rationalize, but it is empty, yet he thinks he's wise. In verse 23, men exchange the glory of God and create idols and false gods. And then in verse 24, 26, 28, God lets men go. That is the nature of what we see in uh, the sinful human being. And so, what is the challenge for us as we close? We have to share the gospel to anyone and everyone. Because all unbelief um, is a suppression of truth in unrighteousness. This is the nature of humanity. That they will always be suppressing truth. They will always be in a state wherein they do not want the truth. And they will continue to want their sin. Therefore, the only solution is presenting them the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of which they are part of which we are all part. And he died on the cross as a substitute for us, for men. And that we must come to him in repentance and faith, in belief that he has substituted his life for our sin and have and receive the forgiveness that is in the Father. Right? So as Christians, we have to remember this gospel and that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And that there is no power outside of the gospel that can save men from unbelief. So share it faithfully. So that basically ends my um, explanation as to the nature of uh, man and the nature of sin in man. And um, how, that, how God deals with man through that sin. So... There you go. I'll, I'll, I'll give it back to you, Nathan and Sam. Okay. So again, I'm just Okay. Uh, you can stop screen sharing already, Kuya. But yeah. Um, thank, thank you, thank you so much, Kuya, for the presentation. I think I really enjoyed the exposition of Romans, the first chapter of Romans, verse by verse. Um. Okay. So like all of our episodes, you know, you should message this. We're gonna be doing a Q and A with Kuya Gabriel, asking some questions. Okay. So, um, I'll go first, Kuya. So. 
I guess for our viewers. So can you can you help us can you help us define what is sin? So sin is um so I, I guess there are so many ways that um, theologians in um, the past have tried to define sin. But I think one of the best and simplest ways that I can think about it is sin is autonomy. Um, and what I mean about that is when we look at... Um, the Westminster Confession or the Westminster Catechism, the first question is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And so, if I rephrase that, uh, what it's saying is basically, what is the, the purpose for which man exists? And the purpose for which man exists is the glory of God um, and to enjoy Him forever, enjoy God forever. And that is only possible by being united in Christ. And so if the nature of man shows us that we are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness and we are going against God in our very nature, if, we have, if we're not Christians, if we do not submit to Christ, if we go against God, we are then uh, in personal autonomy our own, we are running our own lives we are not living for the glory of god and we are not enjoying god at all as he is meant to be enjoyed as he is meant to be fellowshiped with and loved and so sin is this kind of lifestyle a lifestyle of autonomy against god and we see that all throughout what i just um what i was just uh teaching is that when people uh, reject God, God's revelation, when people re reject the word, when people reject what they see in, in, in the invisible attrib attributes of God in all creation, what they're basically doing is they're creating an, their own life or they're shaping their own life according to their own rules. And that is autonomy. And that is sin against God. And so for every person um, who decides that they can live their own life their way, then we see sin. Uh, sin is present. It could be as small as um, our thoughts um, that are against God to our actions being in rebellion to moral laws or the Ten Commandments. And so anything that is autonomous of and, and, and against God and the scriptures, that's what I say would be sin. Okay, thanks, Kriya. Sure. All right. Thank you for that, you gave. Let's move over to the second question. Something a sure. lot of us have a hard time with. So can you um, tell everybody, how should we share the gospel? Christians. You know, th that is a wonderful question and I'm glad that you asked it. But it's the, th the thing is like, I, it, it's such a, it's such a difficult question in a sense that uh, it's not difficult to know what the gospel is in terms of a formula, you know, like, you know, you're a sinner 
uh, God sent Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life and all of these things. But it's different when we're talking to people uh, who we know and who knows us. And so how should we share the gospel to non-Christians? Um, it's such a it's such a case by case thing in a sense that uh, there are relationships to be considered, right? There are relationships to be considered, and so I think the best way to share the gospel uh, to non Christians is uh, starts with ourselves, in um, in a sense that we should know the gospel and how it shapes the way we live daily. What do I mean by that? Do we dive into the gospel daily? Do we remind ourselves of our sinfulness and the grace that is in the cross of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that is in the Father? and the work of the Spirit in our hearts? Do we remind ourselves of that every single day, every single moment? Because we have to. Because that's the way that our hearts can be molded and transformed into seeing the gospel in our lives. And after that, after starting with ourselves daily, being affected by the truth and the graces and the goodness of the gospel, after we uh, meditate on that daily, we then come to our friends. And then it will be a more natural experience. We will be more bold because we see the amount of sin that we're at, but yet and yet the grace that is even more in Jesus Christ. And when we realize that more and more each and every day, um, the how becomes a lot simpler because now we see that if I'm, if I'm in, in, in insane amounts of sin in my life and yet God, the Lord Jesus Christ has taken upon all of that sin and um, died on the cross for that sin and resurrected to defeat death and I can partake of that work. What about my friends? I would want them. What about my family? What, what about my relatives? I would want them to experience the same amount of forgiveness. So it's more of this, this how question is more of um, a question of our own meditation of the gospel in our hearts. It becomes much easier to share the gospel when we know how much forgiven we are. And apart from that, of course, we have to remember to be able to tell our non-Christian friends that they are sinners. They are sinners. It's, it's hard to tell them, but, but that, is, that is the truth. And, and it's, it's hard to tell family. It's hard to tell friends. It's hard to tell relatives. But you have to tell them that they are sinners in facing a holy God who will condemn them and judge them. And But he provides a solution in the Lord Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life, who um, obeyed God's laws in the ways that we could not, who lived perfectly morally, 
um, pure and yet had to be the one to die for our sins in our place. The innocent for the guilty. And then after three days, resurrected again to defeat death so that those who believe in him can share in that same resurrection. And so we have to we have to show the complete gospel. We can't miss out on sin. We can't miss out on Christ's life. We can't miss out on Christ's death. And we can't miss out on Christ's resurrection. But it always starts with us. It starts with our meditation, our understanding of our sinfulness and Christ's grace, God's grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I hope that helps. Yeah, that's that's helped a lot. Thanks, Gabe. Okay, I gave you for the next one. So uh, I remember earlier I gave um, you mentioning um, the point of revelation, right? So this is a follow-up question yeah. related to that. So you mentioned right, general revelation where we can find that they're not use of God as divine nature. So example for non-believer, how can how can we show them this? How can we show them this attribute that God possesses? Oh, it's 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 a great question because I think one of the difficulties is to help people understand that there is a uniformity in nature, right? There is an, a sense wherein a tree is a tree and tomorrow a tree will still be a tree. And tomorrow a tree will not grow upside down with leaves on the bottom and a trunk on top and roots growing out into the air, right? And so when, when we show that to people, that there is a uniformity and how things are. We're showing them that there is a creator. When we show people that when they wake up tomorrow, they know that the morning is day and the evening is night. We are proving that the scripture, what the scripture says is true in Genesis 1, that God created it to be that way. And so how can we tell that to our friends? We show them that they don't wake up tomorrow thinking that oh, tomorrow in the morning, it will be night. Because they know in their minds and in their hearts that nature is uniform because God made it to be so. Um, trees do not grow uh, cement. Uh, and we know that. And when, when some people say, oh, truth is relative, well, that's not true because a tree can never change into a, an electric fan, let's say. But if... If creation were not, um, if creation and the natural world were not by an intelligent design, then tomorrow we can expect that uh, a tree can be uh, a table. Because anything can go, anything can happen in a world where there is no uniformity in nature uh, created by a God that is omnipotent. Right, and so um, the Bible says, "The heavens declare the glory of God; the hands, the skies above, proclaim His handiwork." What it's saying is that in everything created is an imprint of a Creator, and so it is impossible to be able to say that all of this came from nothing. And in fact, a lot of evolutionists and a lot of people who believe in evolution say that say that oh nothing created something which is impossible in fact one of the smarter the claiming to be wise 
uh, people, I think it was Stephen Hawking said, um, he said something like, in the beginning there was nothing, but that created the Big Bang because gravity was there. So if you think about that, how could there be nothing if gravity was something and it was there? But that's the way they're trying to rationalize things because they want to take out a creator. So at the at the at the most basic level, what we can um, argue out is that even the most God-denying person in the world has to submit that it's impossible for nothing to create something. And so the created world can be seen um, in many ways the imprint of God's work. And if they don't accept that, they would have to admit that nothing created something, which is illogical. And science hasn't proven that either. Um, and science can never prove that. And so I think one of the things that you have to, to, to do is to be confident in the assertion that all that we see in nature, in the things that have been made, are God's creation. You know? and, and, and we can never deny that. And people know that. Actually, that is, that is a good starting point. You have to remember that people know that God created these things. And if they say they don't, it is the suppression of truth in unrighteousness. So I hope that helps. I mean, that's not super specific, right? But it's supposed to help you shape how you think of things in order for you to be able to apply it further out as you reflect on creation, as you reflect on you know everything that you see. The sun, the stars, the moon, uh, trees, rainbows, rain, clouds, and all of those things, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Okay, so lastly, to close our Q&A, we have one more question for you, Piagay, sure. and it's, is reprobation unjust? That's, that is good. That is a great question because I think a lot of people might see it that way in a sense that, um, they're being given over to their sin, right? Um, and they're doing worse things. But this is what you have to understand uh, in terms of the exposition in Romans 1. What we have to understand is um, it is not, a simple answer is it's not unjust. And why is it not unjust? It is because um, since God is God, and the creator of all things. And he did not leave people to not know him. He made creation, he made revelation. Um, he showed his invisible attributes and his divine nature. He showed his eternal power. He showed all of this in general revelation, in the things that have been made, right? And what man has done is to reject it, uh, to rationalize, and then to worship something else. So as God, it's not unjust because what he is doing is he is giving essentially what people are asking for. He is giving people up to
to the sin that they love so much. And he, it is a punishment, it is the wrath that he is revealing against ungodliness and unrighteousness, Romans 1.18. It is the wrath, but at the same time, these um, human nature loves sin so much such that it is not that God is giving them over to uh, something that they cannot control, um, but they love sin. And that is, that is the basic human nature, uh, human sinful nature in the hearts of men. Um, and so, um, it's not unjust, also because God is holy. God is holy, and so every sin must be punished. And He needs... He deserves worship. He deserves to be honored, glorified, and praised because He is God. And so all these acts and Him giving them over to those acts is justice, is actually not unjust, but the opposite. It is actually justice. And it is actually what is most deserving of all of us. But if you read further down in Romans, Um, he doesn't just do this to regular people um, who are, um, I mean, he doesn't just do, not regular people, but he doesn't just do this to to people who don't believe in him. He also does this to people who are religious in Romans 2. And then in Romans 3, his point is everyone is in sin. And then, he, and then after Romans 3, he supplies the solution and that is the gospel. And so, when people are given into reprobation, they still are being called by the gospel. Repent and put your trust in Christ. And no amount of this reprobate mind um, is unforgivable by the cross of Jesus Christ. Unless they die. And in, in that case, judgment uh, will come. It is appointed for man to uh, die once and after that comes judgment. And so, until they are alive, God is calling these people who are given into so much of their evil to repent and to believe in Jesus Christ and to partake in a fellowship with God. And we see this in many stories of many people who have become Christians from the darkest of backgrounds and the most evil of deeds. God forgives them. God calls them. God um, welcomes them into the fellowship and gives them new life, right? So reprobation is not unjust. In fact, it is justice. And God still shows grace uh, in the gospel, even to people who have been given over and given over and given over. So yeah, I hope that is helpful. I hope that is um, something that you guys can reflect on more and our, our listeners will be able to um, think about in terms of uh, the nature of man and the nature of sin in their hearts and also in the hearts of unbelievers and their friends and family who they want to uh, preach the gospel to. Okay. Yes, that's right. If you guys enjoyed this episode and really found it helpful, leave a comment below and continue to share it with your loved ones. Again, thank you so much, Queen Gabe, for thank joining you so us much. today. Thank you, Queen Gabe. Yes, thank uh, you. We'll thank be you. 
closing out our episode two of our series Imago Day. And just want to give another big thank you to everyone. And for those who have yet to follow our social media accounts, please do give it a follow, Truth of the Matter. Uh, do leave a like and subscribe to our channel as well. Thank you. Um, we'll see you in the next one. And for the next one, we will be having another special guest. Thank you. Yes. All right. Bye, everyone. Thank you, thank you for watching.